1: Welcome to week two of Clobber in Time, the uh, the wrestling podcast. My name is Tom Bryan. I am a writer for Stereogum.com and assorted other freelance outfits. And uh, my co-host is, uh, is Damien Abraham. Hey, Tom. How's it going, buddy? It's good, man. I'm having a good week. I'm, I'm on vacation. I'm in North Carolina by the beach. It is Beautiful. <laughs> I am in a rental house that I would never, ever be able to afford. That my, uh, my in laws are brought brought my whole, my whole family out to. My brother in law is in from Hong Kong
0: or was until this morning. Um, yeah, man. So I'm doing beautiful. How about you? Uh, well, this week's been a little hectic. It's been a kind of a crazy week, but I'm doing great. You know, everything is good. I'm, I'm in Toronto, not on vacation. Not in, well, actually, would that qualify as flair country still? I, I mean, I guess the entire state
2: of North whole, Carolina. Yeah, the is whole state.
0: He, he claims the whole state. and uh, So I guess, yeah, so that is flair country. So, so uh, you know, I'm not in flair country, but I am in flavor country, as I am drinking in Earl Grey tea right now. <laughs> <And>
1: <laughs> uh, is, is Toronto, like, edge country? Does it have a stipulation on it?
0: I think we would be Drake country if we were anything, right? Well, I mean,
1: wrestling-wise, you're obviously in, what, the six. Did I'm anybody the, ever call it the six before Drake?
0: Uh yeah, there's that guy that came up with it. There's another well, okay, rapper that it, came up with it.
1: All right. Did you ever no. like refer to it as the six before Drake?
0: No, no. And I don't know how much I refer to it as the Six now, but okay. I don't think I'm like uh you know, I'm not the you know, I'm like I might be a little out of the age range of the Six saying people. I did refer to it as the T Dot though. So I'm I'm like a Cardinal Official. I don't think that means anything to you, Tom. But that's,
1: I know who Cardinal Official is man. Actually, that's right. You're a deep, you're a deep music. I know head, about. So. I know about Northern Touch. I know about the, the song where he jumps on and pretty much spends an entire song being like, "You guys say this, and we say <laughs> this," and then like tried to make it cool, and it wasn't cool. I watched. I watched a lot of Rap City in the early 2000s. I know these
0: things. Yeah, was 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 he on Rhapsody in America, or were you watching Canadian Rhapsody?
1: Rap rap, not, not. I was not watching Canadian Rhapsody. Yo, yeah, that on.
0: predates the American Rhapsody. I think. I don't care.
1: Okay, no, <laughs> I'm just saying.
0: Uh, and and I'm talking about BET Big Tigger, okay, in the yeah. basement that yep, Rhapsody. Yep, yep. No, I know. Uh, we had we got BET up in Canada too uh, after a certain point, but before that, we had Rhapsody with Michael Williams, and uh, he would host the Power Thirty. And then he would also host Rap, Th- Rap City. And okay. He, and he was, uh, he's awesome now. I still see, he, he does like some other thing on internet radio. This means nothing to you, Tom. I don't know. This could be, I'll save this for my uh, glory days of much music, when it was good podcast. <laughs>
1: um, the, the disgruntled ex employee podcast.
0: Yeah. But if we're talking about Toronto superstar music people that love pro wrestling, we got to talk about The Weeknd because that guy, I have heard. Is a huge pro wrestling fan. Really? That's what I've heard. So That's,
1: that is not something
0: that I would get at all. No, but I, like it makes sense because like you know if you're of a certain age, please well, explain this, why this makes sense. Well, because I think if you're if you're a kid, you probably were a wrestling fan because up until this era, there was always sort of like wrestling, uh, you know, in the afternoons on a weekend. You know, and yeah. now you don't really have that in the same way. You know, it didn't always seem like I, that. You could always watch wrestling. I mean, I, like, I didn't get to watch
1: TV as a kid. That's, that's a, that's a whole other story. But when, when I had the opportunity to watch wrestling, I most certainly did.
0: And then actually this, this might just be a Canadian thing. And that's why I'm like, oh, well he would have watched it on, but I, I like, I can, I have vivid memories of wrestling always being on the weekends and, you know, and also just like wrestling you know, you're, you're a wrestling fan as a kid. Like it's just something that kids naturally seem to gravitate towards. Like that is true. And it, and it's so, you know, and, and I don't know why it makes sense, but it just, to me, it makes sense that the weekend would be a wrestling fan. It makes sense. Anytime someone's a wrestling fan. I'm like, Oh yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Totally. Totally can see that. Well, uh, speaking of
1: wrestling, we, uh, not, not a, a tremendously busy week in the, uh, in the world of professional wrestling, but, uh, there's some stuff, some stuff happened. Anything, anything you want to start off getting into?
0: Um, I guess if I was going to start off talking about anything, uh, I don't, I, when, when you say there, it's not a big week for wrestling. Every week is now a huge week. For well, yeah, stuff. there's like, if you were trying to watch every single sort of like, you know, and, and this is a broad term, essential, essential wrestling program, you would be on all the time listening to this stuff. Yeah, I don't I don't watch every wrestling show, but you watch
1: it. You wanted, to, you wanted to talk about you were one of the intrepid souls who continues to watch the weekly Ring of Honor television program.
2: Yeah. Uh, what you
1: think and, you think it's on the Wayne? I mean, I don't know. Like I just I I've watched it once or twice, like ever. Okay. I went to a I went to a TV taping once in like twenty twelve okay. and it was excruciating. They taped like a full month's <laughs> worth of matches all at once and it was and there was Long, long, long breaks while they were trying to get their cameras working or whatever. And yeah, we got like so we'd sit around for half an hour and then get like a five minute Kevin Steen squash and then sit around for another half an hour. Like it was, it was bad. It wasn't fun. So their TV's gotten
0: got, a lot better. Their okay. TV has gotten a lot better. Like this week had pretty much like the the centerpiece of the the whole episode was Colt Cabana versus Jay Lethal for the title. Though they had previously wrestled in. Chicago at what was by all accounts an incredible uh, event, and like tons of people were like losing it and just going crazy for everything that was going on.
1: Yeah, and- that was one of those times I wish I was still in Chicago because getting to see, you know, I love Colt and getting to see him get that like big coming back to Ring of Honor hometown reaction that had to be something special.
0: Oh yeah, it would have been incredible to get like to just to, just to see what it was like. I don't know, just to see him get that, you know, like his his due as as a hometown hero and, and on that stage cuz that's got to be like you know one of the bigger indie shows you could do at this point, right? Yeah, absolutely. And
1: just for some background, Colt Cabana was in Ring of Honor for You know, ever, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, he was part of, I think he was on, like, the second or third show that the company ever had. And he was with them up until he got signed to WWE, where he was in developmental hell for a couple years and only got a couple moments on the main roster. And then he got fired again and went straight back to Ring of Honor. But he had disagreements with the management there a few years ago, and they basically just kicked him out. And he was pissed off about it, and you know, we talk about it on his podcast and stuff like that. And so, to see him come back to the company in a main eventer type of role is a cool thing. Yeah. Um, No, sorry, go on. Yeah, so that's and then and then Jay Lethal is the champion there and has been the champion. Got to be like a year now, right?
0: Oh yeah, no, he's been he's had it for over a year at this point. Okay, and uh, he's now they've got like sort of this hot sort of thing going on. Uh, with program, I guess, with the Bullet Club North America. And Bullet Club North America have shaved his head. And so this is his first match having had his head shaved, and he was taking Colt Cabana on for this rematch because their previous match was interrupted by, I believe it was that debut show by the North American Bullet Club, which, of course, is like the Young Bucks and Adam Cole. Okay. They haven't had any people... To that yet, so I guess the young bucks are bullet club international, but I think until this up until this point is Adam Cole is just bullet club North America I don't think he's been in Bullet club Japan yet but I could be mistaken on that but anyway bullet club is interesting
1: it's it's basically in like three different companies now mm-hmm yeah well the club is the bullet club like they almost acknowledge it, it just for trademark
0: reasons it can't be the bullet club mm-hmm but they also own the trademark, apparently, for the Balor Club. That's true. That was heavily reported. <laughs> that's a thing. I hope that's going to be a thing. I hope that's going to be a thing, too, because I, I really think he has he a heel is unreal, Finn Balor. But, yeah. When he was in New Japan and he started like
1: riding on bad luck folly to the ring and he had the uh, light-up jacket, like, oh, that was badass. That yeah. was just
0: great. Yeah. No, he, was, he, he is awesome. Awesome. As a bad guy. But anyway, we like, we can uh, get back to that in a second, but back to this match. And it was a, and it's great because Cole Cabana, and he's talked about this. He, he kind of, you know, uh, as a, I don't think he's even alluded to it. I think he's straight up said that he was kind of driven out by, by sort of the Jim Cornette era, right? Of the regime of Jim Cornette.
1: And so, so he got to have his a couple of nice big triumphant comeback moments. And so, this was a good match. This is one I should go out of my way to watch. You
0: should definitely go watch it. It's the two of them doing incredible things together. And like, you know, and, and we can talk about, I guess, Ring of Honor um, and the problems with Ring of Honor, or I should say wrestler's problems with Ring of Honor leads into another thing we're going to be talking about soon with someone else that was, I guess, you know, according to rumor, at least, and I, maybe he's come out and said it, but kind of like driven away from Ring of Honor by the backstage handling of talent. Um, but it's it's, you know, it's amazing that they still, you know, having been constantly plucked. For people for years now, like years and years, like dating back to, you know, CM Punk and, you know, when Cole Cabana got plucked the first time and all that kind of stuff. It's still able to be that. I guess it's the number two, right? Would it be the number two in America? I don't know. America.
1: I think like like TNA still does pretty good
0: TV numbers. but I don't know. I, I heard that if you look at. You know, because obviously, I guess, syndicated numbers aren't counted, but if you if you were to look at all the Sinclair stuff and the little cable number that it was doing too, Ring of Honor at one point was kind of beating TNA, and I might be mistaken yeah, on
1: that. I mean, I don't know. I don't really like to get into the, the business part yeah. of stuff too much because it's like –
0: it's, it's, you know, it's well, not my money. And it also doesn't, it that to me, yeah, you're right, definitely. And also, I just think also those metrics are broken, like ratings and stuff like that. Like, I think a much better metric is just, you know, gauging from other wrestling fans. And it seems like, to me, people talk people about... People are more psyched about, uh, about ROH than TNA. Yeah, at this point. Yeah. You know, with, with the exception of the you know, the deletion
1: because everyone yeah, loves the deletion. That, that was, that was something special. The I really deletion. enjoyed that. Oh. That was like, I was going to not watch that for the longest time <laughs> until I finally read enough things about it. And it was like, all right. And it absolutely surpassed every expectation I could have possibly had.
0: It's like, it's like I thought the, the, the thing that would really threw me off was all the production values for everything else. And then the match starts and they, there's no crowd noise. And it's so weird. You get that live sound. Oh, it's so weird.
1: Yeah. I, I, when my, like, one of my best friends from high school who was not a wrestling fan started texting me about it, that was when I was like, all right, I gotta, gotta watch this thing.
0: Yeah. I, I, (laughs) ah, it's amazing. Like, that could be a whole, like, everyone's, you know, that thing's been talked about to death. But, uh, just like the fact that that exists, you know, like, (laughs) that everyone. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Like that someone took, you know, the WCW crazy vignette to its illogical extreme. (laughs) Yup.
1: So anyway, so we were talking about a guy who was in ring of honor and is no longer,
0: but before you do, I just want to say back to Cole Cabana, back to your point. I think he's still like a really under, and obviously maybe this is by his choice because he's, he probably could sign a contract at this point, but what an underutilized, Talent That he's, you know, one of the most famous wrestlers outside of the WWE umbrella in the world at this point, you know, uh, self-made and has a podcast that has, I I don't know, I don't know his numbers, but I would say hundreds of thousands of subscribers, I would imagine. And, you know, has that at his fingertips. It's just like the fact that he's not being used, you know, whatever it would take for him to be used by a company more directly is, is shocking to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't like I think he has his own idea of how he wants to do things. He's got his whole like Ronin mentality and mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, good for him. That's a cool thing. Um, he seems to be doing just fine for himself as far as I can tell.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. But I feel I still like, you know, I'm not saying that money, money walks and money talks. But, you know, <laughs> suppose someone's not made him an offer that he couldn't refuse so he could come on board to help. It would be
1: smart, yeah. But you know, we don't we don't run a company, we don't know what we're
0: talking about with this stuff. Nope. Um,
1: But so let's. uh, Can we talk about Cedric Alexander?
0: Yes, we were talking about the person we were alluding to before.
1: Yes, Cedric Alexander was in Ring of Honor, and he is now part of the Cruiserweight Classic on uh, the WWE Network, which I talked about a whole bunch last week. Uh, Cruiserweight Classic had my favorite wrestling moment of the week last week. And it had it again this past week with, uh, with Cedric's match against Kota Ibushi, which was really something special, like something just very, very cool. This complete, like so like back and forth, super athletic all over the place match. And it had its own sort of internally built in storyline that the wrestlers had to tell, like, they had to tell it themselves because the way the cruiserweight classic is set up there's there's no storylines it's just uh, it's just guys wrestling each other so the storylines themselves have to sort of organically appear within the match and this one did this is like Cedric Alexander been the been like a sort of a mid card guy on the independent circuit for a long 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 time and uh, and here he gets to kind of step up against the guy who's like the maybe, like, the premier high flyer in the world. Like, uh, just this this total, like, force of nature, Kota Ibushi, who's just an incredible, like, breathtaking performer to watch. And he throws everything he has at him. And so that the whole story of the match is, like, this guy knows he has one shot. He's doing everything he can. He doesn't win. You know, spoiler alert. Like, Ibushi wins. And you knew Ibushi was going to win going into it, pretty much. But, I mean, it was... Just nuts. And and there were some near falls in there that were just beautiful. And it's just a, a, a great, great match, a whole lot of fun to watch. And it was and he is a guy who was in Ring of Honor for a long time. And they actually alluded to it on the show. Like not this week, but whenever he had his first Cruiserweight Classic match. I think during the match, Maru Ronella said something about how he had passed up a Ring of Honor contract to be in the Cruiserweight Classic.
0: Well, and that, it's just like, you know, that's the great thing about this Cruiserweight Classic is it's kind of giving a lot of these people exposure to a much wider audience. Like, I, he was, you know, he definitely was a mid-card kind of wrestler on the independents, but he's someone that so many people have said for so long, you, you, and so many people have known for so long, that he's just unbelievably physically t- gifted. Yeah. and, and he, he is. He, he's,
1: he can just do incredible things. He's like, there's no, he's like, he can talk. He's like, like handsome. Like there's no reason why he couldn't succeed on a bigger stage.
0: No. And that's the thing is that hopefully these guys are all good. like Koto Ibushi too. Like, you know, he's one of the greatest high flyers in the world, but just his facials in that match too. And he's got, he's, why do
1: wrestling in- fans say facials instead of faces or facial expressions? I always thought that was one of the weirdest, like wrestling terms.
0: Facials. I don't know. I think you say facials in other sports, don't you? I mean, you say it in porn; it's something well, else yeah, there. It means something very different, I think, in porn than we're talking about here. But like, uh, but maybe it's from wrestling that people say it. Like, like you know, in I've never
1: heard anybody say that in any context except for wrestling. It's one of those. It's like one of those. Like, why do we say this? Yeah, I'm, I've said it before. Anyway, I interrupted you.
0: No, no, hey, hey, you, you your mind went there, Tom. So we, we had to go there. Uh, but yeah, you're right. But he has, he's definitely one of those people that just, you know, one of my favorite wrestling matches, I think a lot of people's favorite wrestling matches the last few years, uh, was Wrestle Kingdom 9 with Nakamura. Yeah. Oh God. That was incredible. I just watched it the other day cause I'm showing Holden his first wrestling matches every morning before <laughs> his younger brother wakes up. So uh, we have like a, you know, we have like a twenty to thirty minute window before Dory downstairs, and I have to turn off the wrestling. Do
1: you like think about it all day, which one you're going to do the next morning?
0: Tom, I got them planned out like months in advance. I got oh, them planned out till I can wow. start okay. showing them blood in a few years. <laughs> so. Okay, that's good. <laughs> Though I already fucked that up because I was trying to show him uh, CM Punk versus Cole Cabana, and there, you know, there's blood in the lead up. So I was like, okay. oh god, I guess I'm not ready to show you this one. <laughs> Um, but like the last one they had in ring of honor, I should say. Uh, so yeah, like he, he is really someone and there's like so many people that you could say this of that are in this, uh, this tournament that just needed the platform. Cedric Alexander, Alexander yeah. Koto like, there, these are people that just need, just needed the, the stage on which to show people what they can do.
1: So, all right, so then on the show, you know, they had this incredible match. Alexander loses, and it it cuts away at the end. And then, you know, it goes back to, like, the studio and guys talking about brackets and who's going to be wrestling the next week. But then, almost as, like, a cold close of the show, it, like, it goes back and it shows Alexander, like, completely teary-eyed, like, leaving the ring. He's getting, like, a big, like, thank you, Cedric chant or something like that and and he's completely emotionally overcome and I love moments like that in wrestling where it's like like you actually see like the genuine emotion of it where it's like like wow these guys have really like put themselves through something this means everything to them and these like like I love it whenever like Sasha Banks cries after a big match mm-hmm. you know I al- I always love that stuff and so the crowd starts chanting please sign Cedric and as he's walking to the back, you saw this too, right?
0: Yeah. The WWE's put this excerpted out as a, another video on YouTube now.
1: Okay. So as he's like walking to the back, uh, triple H like suddenly materializes behind him, like, like steps out of the entrance way and like looks up at the crowd and gives him like a, yeah, okay. Not like, <laughs> and like gives them a thumbs up, shakes, uh, Alexander's hand and then like leads him to the back. And it's such a, awesome moment it's such a like a cool like nerd out thing like they didn't even have to put this on the show but I'm really glad they did and uh and it really shows that like what a great wrestling fan Triple H is that he could like recognize that as a moment and first off recognize that this is a guy who should be signed because he should and then to like recognize that this would be a really cool moment to like go out and Break the fourth wall enough to tell the crowd, like, yeah, that's going to happen. Like, we're going to put some money, like, in front of him, and we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, he's like, ah, oh, man, I, I, Triple H to me is like uh, a very fascinating personality of, mm-hmm. a, of a you know person because like you get these moments with them, and then you know you, he loves Motorhead and all this sort of other stuff. Where I'm like, how oh, he'd be fun to hang out with, and then you hear you know stuff in the Jericho book or like other stories about how he is backstage, you know, like, Oh, it just seems so completely at odds with this other side. Yeah.
1: Like the guy who holds other people down and yeah. I've heard all the stories and stuff like that. I've been around a few wrestlers who've told me a few things and most of those things are not flattering. And, uh, but I don't know, maybe it's like he's gone through like personal changes in yeah. the last couple of years or, or sort of, he's being an executive as opposed to a wrestler all the time, not really having a spot that he has to protect has like led him to sort of like consider things differently. Mm-hmm. Almost like a, like a president in the second term, you know, where they're yeah. not like for election the whole time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's just having his, these are his, uh, his like, uh I'm at peace now with my ego years. Yeah. It's also like, this is, you know, that, that's one way. And the other way is, is like, maybe he is that calculating, Like, he is, you know, he's the game. So maybe he's, like, figured out that, like, no, this is what I need to be. Oh, so,
1: like, this is where the future is going. This is how to, like, bolster my own legacy. I like this. I like this line of thinking.
0: Evolution is a mystery, a change that no one sees, you know? What are you quoting? Something is that theme song? Quoting the greatest theme song of all time in wrestling. I think I'm misquoting it too, but okay. But that's my favorite uh, theme song. But yeah, like he he can evolve. You know, he knows how to evolve. He's no. You know, what's
1: a great theme song? Is uh, this is uh, apropos of nothing? But I really like James Storm's uh, TNA theme song. That's some (laughs) like that's some really top shelf like Nashville like. (laughs) like yeah. mega budget mid 2000s like country like outlaw country Montgomery gentry type shit right that, there
0: that's, that's good music what, what's that's uh Dixie's husband surge's work i bet
1: probably I i'm sure but, um, but like almost every theme song in TNA is just but like most of them are terrible james storm got this like just badass anthem sounds like a like a i don't even know like a um like a Lee Bryce song or something
0: because well, Serge was finally painting in his uh, chosen palette. Cause that
1: uh, yeah, that's it. As opposed to like the, like affliction shirt, but rock that everybody else gets. Yeah.
0: Like Serge was like, I, I love Nashville country. Serge is the guy though, that kept T- Taylor Wilde from using fucked up as her entrance music.
1: Uh, yeah. You've told me this story.
0: So there you go. So Serge, not, not a fan of, not a fan of his work. Put it that way. Yeah,
1: yeah. Fuck that guy, except for his <laughs> James. Storm <laughs> for
0: the James Storm theme. Although, song.
1: have you have you heard Bobby Roode's new NXT theme song? Yeah, he's it's awesome. He, I like how both Beer Money guys have good theme songs in different companies now.
0: Well, because, and that's like, you know, it's funny when you think back, I was, I went out for lunch with a a friend the other day and we're talking some pro wrestling and, uh, in, 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 we're talking about, you know, that sort of motor city machine guns, beer money era of TNA. And just like, could you imagine if those teams were around now and like, you know? Oh yeah. Oh, and like, they would be be crushing things. Like no question. It would be amazing. They they, will. They both be on NXT. Like it's. I think it was very clear that both those teams, if they were around now, and it was if then was now, they would be on NXT, and it would be blowing people's minds, and there'd be this incredible push for tag teams.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that that would be great. Oh well. Oh well. Oh Um, well. So the one thing that I that I also wanted to talk about this week, and God knows we probably should have bumped this up to the front because it's like. The thing that people are actually talking about is uh, the feud between The Rock and Vin Diesel, mm-hmm. which appears to be entirely taking place within TMZ and uh, and like The Rock's Instagram feed. But um, I, you know, I'm really enjoying it. Like, I love the Fast and Furious movies. These guys apparently do not. Get along a pr- particularly well, and they're beefing with one another on the set of Fast 8, which I am very excited for. Um, do you like those movies?
0: No. No, I was uh, I was dating a, a, a woman at the time when the first one came out, and I think she left me for a street racer.
1: Okay, but they're not even street racing movies
0: anymore. Doesn't matter,
1: Tom. She left you for like a, a vault-cracking, <laughs> like superhero, I think you can go back to those movies and it's all I good.
0: I don't know. I don't know if I want to like, like there's so much stuff to watch, you know, like it's like when you have those spare times, do you really need to go back and discover the fast series?
1: Yes. Yes, you do. They're like, it's the best action franchise we have going today. Well, It's <laughs> like the last, the last movie had Kurt Russell and Jason Statham and Tony Jaa, and fucking, you know, The Rock like flexing and breaking a cast off his arm. It was just ridiculously dope. Those movies are great. They're fucking great. Fast Five. That's the best one. I went to this um this action movie festival in Asheville, North Carolina, like uh, five years ago, four years ago, something like that. And uh, the the guys who were there at the time were were using Fast Five. Because all these stuntmen were there, right? And they were using Fast Five as, like, evidence of, like, our line of work is still relevant. They can't just replace us with computers because you need to do something like this fucking awesome bank vault dragging behind a car chase that is at the end of Fast Five. It's, like, one of the best car chases ever filmed.
0: Don't you think, though, it's like the Affliction t-shirt of movies? No, because
1: <laughs> Affliction t-shirts aren't cool anymore, and the Fast movies still are. <laughs>
0: Are they Tom? Yes.
1: <laughs> that last, you know how much goddamn money Fast
0: 7 Yeah, minutes? but that's, because that, that's where we live in this weird area where, where populist equals good. That's like okay, no other, no right. other time in history. I, should I
1: tell you that I cried at the end of it? Because I did.
0: Well, I cried at Backdraft. I'm not sitting here defending that movie. Why would you not want to defend
1: Backdraft, man? Because,
0: because,
1: okay, we are. This I've is, never seen Backdraft. You've but never anyways. seen Backdraft? No, I've never seen Backdraft. Okay, it's not good, but you should see it. <laughs> I mean, just like like what you like. Like I do I like what I like. My, I write I write a fucking
0: column about action. I action. know I like, and I believe me, Tom. I like what I like. If we're sitting here talking about the last Boy Scout, I can go. Yeah, that's a good movie. I can go. That's my favorite action movie ever. And you uh, like it better than Die Hard? Yep, I love Die Hard. I love Die Hard, and I love I love like. I just love Die Hard love so much, and I love Die Hard Two, uh, a lot.
1: Um, three Die Hard Two is like a distant behind Die Hard with a Vengeance. Uh
0: I I don't know. I think I like Die Hard Two more than Die Hard with a Vengeance because I saw Die Hard Two in the theater. So I've a soft spot it for it. it. That would do it. And and there's that scene where he pulls the uh, <laughs> the uh, ejection seat. Yep. and it goes right up into the screen. Oh, that's a that's a classic thing to see. That's that's like
1: that's like the waning days of the super shitty green screen effects. Yeah, you so can only we get away with that for like another six months after that. So what's the beef between these two? I don't know. I guess they like the Rock doesn't like the way Vin Diesel comports himself on set. Uh-huh. The the like TMZ has reported that the crew all think that Vin Diesel sucks because he like he won't, he'll like hold up time or filming time because he won't come out of his trailer. And the rock is a total professional. And so as a total professional, which you would have to become through years of pro wrestling, uh, the rock doesn't like that Vin Diesel is is being a little bit of a diva. But, um, so one of the the theories that's, uh, that's been going around and I think it's like a half joking theory, but God, I would love it if it was true is that, Uh, fast eight comes out like two months after or two weeks after WrestleMania next year. And so there's some people who seem to think that this is a work or don't seem to think, but they're at least enjoying speculating what if this was a work and what if it gets blown off at WrestleMania before the movie comes out?
0: Whoa, that would be some, that's like some, uh, you know, Conor McGregor level of booking in advance. It would be. So, I mean,
1: all right. First off, in Fast Five, there is a fight between Vin Diesel and The Rock that is incredible. Even though Vin Diesel is like the size of like one of The Rock's legs, it makes it kind. Of the you know the camera work is such that it seems like he has a, a reasonable chance of holding his own. And uh, and God, like so. Some things some things I'd like to I'd like to think about, I'd just like to put out there into the ether is if this match does happen, if this is a wrestling match that this is building to, uh first off, what's Vin Diesel's entrance music?
0: Um well he was named by a hardcore kid apparently. Um He's not gonna come out to some hardcore. So might he might come goes. out to a hardcore song. <laughs> No, it's to come out one of those like, weird rave he's songs. He's gonna and,
1: come out to that that like Arthur Russell song that he like rapped on in 1986 or whatever it was. that's
0: that song that uh that rave song that he danced to. Remember those videos where he'd be like dancing, he'd, like oh, yeah. high out of his mind it looked like. <laughs> yeah, he comes he'll come out to what? Drunken Love, right? Yeah. That's his like most iconic
1: like Facebook video that he put out. Yeah, that's true. All right. So, oh, he man. comes out to Drunken Love. What kind of car does he drive to the ring? He has to drive a GTO like And he has to drive it to the ring. I think that's the only way that happens. And then I wonder if he can do a shooting star press. I'm just going to put that out there. Maybe he could do a shooting star press. Like, he's cruiserweight-sized.
0: Well, you think he can do a shooting star press? I bet you he's more like a power move guy. But (laughs)
1: he's like... you, I mean, yes, yeah. probably. I just, I want to put the image of Vin Diesel doing a shooting star press, like out there in the world, like it's that like the be... secret, you know. Let's all sit there and picture it and think about it, and maybe it happens.
0: I think that's, I think that's more realistic than
1: Brock doing one on, on uh, Russell. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, maybe, maybe Vin Diesel lands on his head like Brock does, and then they ban shooting star presses. I don't know. We I should... can't predict the future. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, until that future t- comes, we should probably get our guest on right now.
1: Yeah, let's uh let's bring in um Matador Records co founder. Yep. Co founder Gerard Cosole. Uh welcome back to Coloburn Time, everybody. Uh and I'd like to introduce our esteemed guest, uh the Matador Records co founder, guy who's been in music for a long time, Gerard Cosole. And um hey. Kind of embarrassed I'm not saying that in a blues explosion voice.
0: That's I, feel like. I think it's
1: it's better that you don't. Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> Yo, Gerard, actually totally off topic, but <laughs> how about the fact that uh Russell Simmons, the other Russell Simmons from the uh John Spencer Blues Explosion, was in psychic youth? Ah, oh, you know what? I was not aware of that. I didn't know about it till today when I was like entering the record into my Discogs page. And I'm like, what the, this is every
1: conversation I have with you. That's not about wrestling,
0: (laughs) 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 but that's like a boss. They were a Boston band too, right? I think
2: it's, it's not really ringing a bell for me. So uh,
0: it's like some guy who went on to become the graphic designer who did the Slipknot record. And he did uh, uh, a couple other things. But uh, he is, but also featured uh, Russell Simmons, and it's like kind of a minimal synth electro-y pop type record. It's it's fantastic. Wow. But, uh, wow. I had no idea. Anyway, sorry, I ruined the interview already. Everyone, that's <laughs> we, we can get back on track. We'll <laughs> yeah. Okay.
1: Anyway, sorry, Tom. Back to you. Uh, no, so um, so uh, Damian is a Matador Records artist. And I applied for an internship once there in the summer of 2000 and never heard anything back. So that's both of our Matador Records connections. I, I can promise you, you, you dodged a bullet. <laughs> well, I
0: would say, but, but you say that, Gerard, but let's not forget that Ezra from Vampire Weekend and uh, Michael from Mishka were both former Matador interns.
2: Um, I, that's, what, that's what people tell me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um.
2: And also Gabe too so there's, that's that's right that's right it's it's, it's, it's absolutely it's 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 the ticket to start a much the way that uh you know czw was uh, was dean ambrose's uh, stepping <laughs> stone to uh global fame and fortune uh p- packing boxes at uh at matador uh you will eventually uh, top the billboard charts that's how that, that
1: would have been my my light tube match
2: yeah yeah
0: yep. you could have been that could have been you tom that you could have yep. been you could have been talking about cousins instead of Ezra. That's a deep cut singles reference from like three years ago or something.
1: <laughs> all right, all right. So, um, so Gerard is a is a wrestling fan, just like the two of us. And Damien just told me you went and saw a Progress wrestling show in London.
2: Yeah, I was in London uh, in June, and uh, the end of June, and I attended uh, Progress's uh, Chapter Thirty Two. 5,000-to-1 card at the Electric Ballroom in Camden. 5,000-to-1, uh, so, of course, being uh, the reference to uh, to Leicester City's uh, recent um, EPL championship, which uh, I, I'm told the odds for that were 5,000-to-1. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'd never been to a, a progress show before. I've, I've only followed their stuff uh, online um progress wrestling
1: for those listeners who might not know is a british wrestling promotion that like is incredible like it's kind of like the 2001 ring of honor of right now where it just seems like if you're a big enough wrestling dork you're like oh my god this thing
2: yeah i think that's a good comparison and they seem to have a really really good mix of sort of you know homegrown talent uh, bringing in a mix of the, the the cooler, hotter Indies from around the world um, and uh, I mean mixing it up in a really creative way because there, there seems to be an actual storyline for everything that 's happening not that that 's uh, you know unheard of in the indie world by any stretch but um, I mean, even for, even for somebody who hadn 't been to one of the shows before, uh, the characters and the storylines were pretty pretty easy to figure out. Um, but uh, you know, the level of competition was fantastic. Uh, the production, uh, the setup there was very, very cool. Um, the crowd was amazing. Crowd level of crowd participation was kind of off the charts, something I haven't seen at a domestic wrestling show in many, many years. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sold. I'm in.
1: <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't go specifically for this, did you?
2: No, I was there on business and uh, ended up extending the trip an extra day when I saw that they they had the show happening, nice um, and uh, and yeah, I mean you know there, there were there were a couple people on the show I'd seen before, uh, Johnny Gargano who um, dropped the uh, the smash uh, belt to Mark Haskins. Certainly, I've seen Johnny on TV here in the US and seen him wrestle in person, but uh, you know there were there were a number of folks I had not uh, watched before. One guy in particular. Um, Jack Sexsmith, who seems to, seems to be working um, a, a gimmick of um, – he's very promiscuous, <laughs> which you know you wouldn't think on paper that's a great idea for a gimmick. Oh, no, that's like a – well, that's what? That's a
1: uh, Yujiro Tagahashi kind of yeah, has that? Yeah, I was
2: going to say, the Yujiro yeah. gimmick.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, Valvinus I, I, kind of sort of had it.
2: Yeah. It's, 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 it's a lot funnier than Valvinus. It's a, it's a, it's a little more, Val Venus is pretty funny. I,
0: I would, I'm with Gerard on this one. I, I think it could be probably a lot funnier than Valvinus.
2: Yeah. Because. This, this, this guy's pretty damn funny. I mean, he's, he's great on the microphone. He does some stuff that's pretty, I mean, I, I watched uh, a clip of him, uh, a match earlier in the year. I, I can't remember who it was with, but he, he comes into the ring. Um, uh, with his, his tag partner, who's just who is simply referred to as the Gimp, <laughs> it's it's someone in a head to head to toe PVC suit who he, he is literally riding this person into the ring, and just before they get to uh, the steps, um, Sexsmith falls off the Gimp and lands face first in the lap of someone in the front row and it's just you know it's it's amazing awesome. it's it's really really amazing he's uh yeah he's he's the guy the guy's great on the mic his 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 interviews are very funny and uh, you know i'd love to see him in a program with uh with uh, dalton castle
1: yeah oh that would be that would be great it's but funny. who did uh did you go to the show by yourself yes i did i did no one that's, knows. That's, so that's people, some true wrestling fandom to do that.
2: I, I, go, I go to
0: most wrestling shows by myself. Well, I was going to say, like people, like you know, people don't know this about Gerard. Like, do you? You're, you're kind of open about doing "Can't Stop the Bleeding," right? You, oh you, yeah, yeah. That's okay.
2: that, that is that is my blog. Yeah,
0: yeah. Because like the thing is, Gerard is knows more about sports and music than just about anyone I've ever met my entire life. Definitely more about and and when I say sports, I don't just mean like you know like sports, capital S, I mean, pro wrestling too. And like, you've been to shows for, for a while, right? You've been going to shows, you're a lifelong fan, I would say, right? Yeah. I've been going, I've been going to wrestling shows since I was a kid. So
1: yeah. Well, like what was, what were some of your first shows then?
2: The first show I saw was an independent show, uh, at Wayland high school, uh, when I was probably, you know, you know, probably 12 or 13, but um, I, I can't remember everybody on the on the card, but uh, I believe Ch- uh, Chief J. Strongbow was the headliner. So uh, wow. that that gives you a hint of uh, how uh, how how glittering that event must have been. <laughs> but also at that time, you you kind of like because of where you're situated, you're you're
0: primed for the, like the rise of the Northeast Indies in the wake of I guess WWE consolidating everything.
2: Yeah, although I didn't, I mean, I didn't really follow it that closely. I probably started wrestling watching wrestling again in, in earnest, maybe eighty three or eighty four. I mean I was at I was at the first WrestleMania. You were? Uh-huh. Yeah. I was there in the very last very last row of the blue seats at, at MSG. And my <laughs> level of awareness about the independence at that time was was virtually nothing. I mean I knew there were I knew there was um you know I, I knew I knew about, you know, um you know, the NWA, I knew about the a, about the AWA, I knew about Florida Wrestling, I knew about Memphis. But all that info I was just getting simply from reading the Bill After magazines. Um, I hadn't started reading The Observer yet. So uh, it was all like a very shadowy world. I, I really, you know, was, was kind of stumbling through it, not knowing who was who and what was what. Um, but I think the first time I, I got like a real notion that there was something else, Beyond the big players was right after um, the AWA had their like really aborted attempt at running shows in New York. They they formed like a splinter group called Pro Wrestling USA. They did a they did a big card at the Meadowlands. They did a big card at Nassau Coliseum, which wasn't very well attended. And from that point onwards, the shows started getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And uh, it was at that point that I began finding out that. Oh yeah, there's actually shows in things like VFW halls and American Legion Halls and high school gymnasiums and, and nightclubs and, and uh and that was that was a pretty interesting revelation because you saw a number of people on their way up and you saw a lot of people on their way down. Yeah.
1: You were you were doing like homestead and stuff by this point, right?
2: I started working at the Homestead in nineteen eighty four. I'm not the guy who started the label, but I started there in nineteen eighty four. And uh, I left at the start of 1990.
1: Okay, so when you're seeing all this stuff, the, these shows in VFW halls, did it was there? Did you see any like commonality between the music that you were dealing with and the no, wrestler?
2: I, I, would, I would say virtually none. I mean, my my vibe <laughs> on it was, I, and I had a very negative impression of what little I knew of the indie wrestling circuit at that point. I just assumed it was all very kind of. Very, very kind of. Uh, I think the vibe I'm trying to describe is 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 uh, esque, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, it wasn't until uh, I started watching ECW that I had a higher opinion of it. That there actually seemed to be like a, a real a real aesthetic that mm-hmm. somebody's saying here. This isn't simply garbage time wrestling to pull into town and draw 200 people. We have real stories. We have real characters. There's a real point of view being expressed here. It has something to do with, in some weird way, some bizarre prism <laughs> that, 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 you know, Heyman and the other guys were looking through at that point in time. Um, and, uh, and, yeah, it was, it was ultra-violent. Uh, the, uh, you, you had some real, real larger-than-life personalities. Uh It was hard not to admire the way they put those shows together. They were obviously heavily edited on TV, mm-hmm. the whole business with uh, Styles doing the commentary after the matches were over. that certainly allowed them to to make for a better TV product. Um, but yeah, I mean that whole thing was was really uh, infectious. And then seeing those shows live for the first time, it, it did remind me a lot of uh, seeing, uh, like northeastern hardcore shows in the early '80s, especially the, the the whole idea of the crowd being right on top of everything, um, the action happening in the crowd very often, and every and almost everybody involved being very very accessible. You could go to the merch table and have a conversation with somebody about the match they were just in or whatever, and that was you know you obviously were not gonna. Go to Madison Square Garden and just have a conversation <laughs> with Jimmy Snooker. That wasn't going to happen. You weren't going to like just go up to Kevin Nash at the intermission and be like, "Hey, how you doing?" You know. Yeah. So was there, uh, was
1: there ever like the sense, the sort of like hardcore show sense that like you could potentially get your ass kicked at one of these oh, shows?
2: Ab- absolutely. That I felt. I felt that way on many occasions, uh, especially at the ECW shows at the Elks Lodge in Queens where there was no real security to speak of the some of house
1: the, of extreme
2: yeah I mean some some of the uh, people in attendance were arguably uh, a lot more unhinged than people in the ring <laughs> and, uh, yeah it's like you know it's like a really super hot sweaty building completely overpacked people have been in there for hours and hours tempers were running high um, yeah there was very often a feeling that something could uh, seriously, go wrong. And if you look at, I mean, and, and I, I never really saw anything super terrible happen. But uh, I mean, there were like those legendary, you know, things that went wrong in in and around ECW. There's there's the whole uh, uh, the, the, the Sandman Crucifixion match. There's uh, you know, um, you know, New, new Jack uh, falling from uh, God knows how many feet up in the air. There's the whole uh, thing with, with the back, tables. Missing the tables. The yeah. whole thing with, with, with mass mass transit nearly yeah. you know, ble- bleeding to death. I don't. I don't even know if that was even an actual ECW show. I can't remember. It was.
1: It was. I, I did a. I went and spent some time with New Jack last year to wrote a profile about him for uh, for Grantland, yeah. and I really kind of felt like I was going to go interview a lion. Like, I've I've never gone into an interview thinking that I could get stabbed before. I, I I definitely kind of felt that heading into that.
2: Yeah, no, I I I totally get that because watching those matches in that era, I, I felt like when things would spill into the crowd or when guys would be walking to the ring and, and some moron would get in their face, I often felt like you know there's a real chance that like Perry Saturn or Taz or one of those guys. Is going to haul off and slap somebody, but I always thought if that happens, that's circumstantial. Yeah, that's just that's just kind of what happened in the heat of the moment with New Jack. I definitely felt like there was a a significant chance that someone who got too close to him could get hurt, and it wouldn't necessarily be unintended. I (laughs) I necessarily in the wrestlers.
0: I have a video. I have a DVD where Shane Douglas, uh, a fan cracks him and he turns around and slaps the fan and, and, and just like slaps him down straight up. But I don't know. I, I knew Jack, like you had a good experience with him, with him right? Tom? Yeah,
1: he was fine. He was, he was, I mean, he was a tough interview. Yeah. He didn't want to answer too many questions as floridly as I
0: might've liked. You didn't him get to... stabbed though. So it's pretty good.
1: Nope. Uh, no, Did not get stabbed. <laughs> um, and I never heard back from him about the, about the story. So I guess he didn't hate it enough to like help me down.
2: That's good. So that's keep look, keep looking over your shoulder.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I, I am.
0: Gerard, when you were going to like you know WrestleMania one, did you go by yourself? Because that was such like a huge media event. I imagine were like other people around you
2: excited about it at all? Or I went, I went to that with a co-worker of my name Mark, uh, a guy I used to work with at Dutch East India Trading, who was also a wrestling fan. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean people people were very excited and. Uh, that was, I mean, at that time, uh, the level of mainstream media attention that was being paid to that show was nothing like anyone had ever seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, in pro, I mean, if, if you'll remember, uh, the night before WrestleMania, Hogan and Mr. T hosted SNL. Uh, <laughs> that's 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 how big this was. That yeah. was also the week. That was also the week that Hogan put Richard Belzer in the sleeper hold and dropped him on his head that was that was in doing advanced promo for uh, for for WrestleMania so yeah it was it was a very very big deal um, i mean it was it was sort of treated by the media in kind of a sneering sort of way i mean it was it was compared to now when you have a uh, coachman um, on SportsCenter center uh, having uh, like pseudo legit conversations about guys about their with guys about their injuries or their mm-hmm. title aspirations. Uh, most of the news and sports media covering uh, the old WWF at that time uh, were pretty. You know, I mean, it, it was pretty nudge nudge. We think this is silly, but we know you're going to pay attention to it. Mm. Well, like ESPN just
0: launched a WWE vertical yesterday. I think,
2: right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean. It's uh, it's it's smart business. Whether it's good journalism, I can't say, but it's certainly good business. I I, I have a lot of, uh, I, I tend to think that those uh, those those coachman things they're doing uh, don't do them or or the WWE any favors. But that's that's my opinion.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I could hear that. I I I think it's funny though because around that era, I've read a lot of interesting wrestling articles written by the singer of Vom. Richard Metzger? Meltzer? Uh, uh, Meltzer, yes. Meltzer, Richard Meltzer, sorry. Uh, yes. but- Richard,
2: uh, a.k.a. the real deed of American rock critics. Exactly. Oh, exactly.
0: shots fired at, at Chris Gow. Yeah, well, that he he his books are incredible. The Aesthetics of Rock, and there's another Is one. Is
1: really Dave Meltzer's cousin? Somebody told me that once.
0: They're, they're, not, they're not actually related,
2: but it's oh, an amazing book. I really like that idea.
0: Yeah, it would be incredible, because, well, that's someone who's like, you know, wrote lyrics for Blue Oyster Cult and played in you know the pre Angry Simone's band, and also loved pro wrestling.
1: And I just want to say I'm gonna I'm gonna defend Robert Criswell really quick <laughs> <laughs> as a rock critic. I think he's a much better writer than Meltzer, and also like I worked with him for a little while and he was nice to me.
2: Um, <laughs> you know, I I, so. I actually I actually hold him in very high regard. I I'm I'm, I'm clearly. I have my own biases here, but uh, I'm not seriously trying to diss uh, Chris Gow. Well,
0: but he never wrote Electrocute My Cock, so... Not yet. (laughs) There you go.
1: He wrote a lot about his dick, like more than it would be advised for a rock critic today to write about his dick.
0: That's, well, yeah. No, I I don't think that would fly in today's world. But uh, you mentioned uh, the other uh, Meltzer, Dave Meltzer. When did you start subscribing to uh, The Observer?
2: Uh, I, I didn't I, – I haven't been a constant subscriber during all this time, but I probably started around um, – I'm going to guess around 86 or 87. Wow. So how uh,
0: did and, you become like aware that there was this other world that you weren't privy to? Like,
2: you know what? It was, it was, it was actually – I'm not trying to name drop here. It was Bob Mould who told me about The Observer. I had never heard of it before and – I didn't even I mean as far as like you know wrestling zines existing and I know for instance that you know when when Cornet was a young person uh he was involved in some some DIY publishing stuff which I've never I've never actually seen any of it but uh but it was it was Bob who told me about the observer and uh that was before there was a website or before most of us were online and uh yeah you you'd get the print edition in the mail and uh yeah, it was, it was an absolute mind-blower because, yeah, here's this guy discussing it in a very serious, very analytical way and uh, he, he's not uh, pretending that the uh, results aren't prearranged. Mm-hmm. And he's also discussing uh, the business in uh, very, very stark terms. You're learning a ton about how that business works, who's doing what, who's getting paid, um, and, uh It was it was you know it was both very uh, very addictive but also very sobering at the same time because there were so many uh, really really tragic stories about people getting messed up people uh, suffering uh, you know uh, things really going wrong in people's lives and careers and uh, I mean I mean the publication is still like that today except it's it's much much bigger and of course Dave has gone on to be one of the one of the foremost uh, writers in the MMA world as well, which, you know, back then didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Had
0: you seen Bob's wrestling zine? Because he had one prior to that, right? Prior to 86, I mean.
2: I, I hadn't seen Bob's wrestling zine. I know there is, there is one zine that recently somebody put up a PDF of um, that has contributions from Bob and one of the guys from Toxic Reasons, but uh like if bob had his own zine i never actually saw it
0: yeah that's what i think he he told me that he had his own one for a minute too I, i'm pretty sure but like that one also i think it has the guy from the stretch marks contributing
2: yeah i well. think we're i think we're talking about i think we're talking about the same publication yeah
0: yeah but it's it's funny there was like there's always been this weird connection between punk and pro wrestling or a lot of punks that like pro wrestling
2: yeah, and it pops up. It pops up in the songs a lot. I mean, yep. for years. I mean, I mean, going, going, certainly going back to the '80s. There have been songs where it's there. There have been you know very, very specific references. So uh, it's not not a new thing at all.
0: Mm-hmm. What was that band? The Foreign Objects. They were from uh, Northwest, right, or Northeast, I should say.
2: Yeah, I think they were a Boston thing. I think they. I, I don't. There was uh, the uh, a band called the Mighty Ions from Boston. Who uh, they had a song called Pedro Morales, which was sung to the tune of California Uber Allies. <laughs> uh, that was that was that was a big hit. By um, <laughs> big hit. I mean, it was a big hit on college radio on one station, where <laughs> right. one of them may have been a DJ. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was. Uh, I mean, I, mean I, I guess I guess it was a little a little a little closeted in those days. I mean, uh, I think he probably you know, still is
1: like. It, Maybe not as much.
2: I mean, I mean, if I if I go to a if I go to a punk rock show these days, or you know, quote unquote indie rock show or whatever, it's not at all unusual to see somebody with a, a wrestling tee. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they're 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 still in the minority, of course.
0: We're, we're <laughs> in the post CM Punk profile in GQ magazine era, Tom. You got to remember uh, okay. that sometimes. Yeah. It,
2: it was only the website.
1: <laughs> I I can't claim too much. Uh, <laughs> Responsibility for
0: any when it's brought up in wrestling media, it's always brought up like it was in the magazine.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Um, do do you have like do you have a favorite wrestling show you've ever been to?
2: I gotta I gotta think about that. Probably um, the uh, the first uh, the first EC the first ECW pay per view um, at at uh, what they now call the twenty three hundred arena. Uh, in in Philadelphia, um, that uh, I'm trying to remember the big the
0: uh, it's the one I, to be on the mat right the one they that's the one yeah
2: that was I, th- I think I think that was Raven versus Terry Funk was the headline match that night and Didn't uh,
1: they had like a three way dance to yes. see like that Terry Funk had to win to get in that match is that was that the one
2: I think so I think so there was there was a trem- a tremendous amount of blood. Uh, spilled on Terry's part. I believe there was another match on, the, on that card that featured a, a, a surprise Rick Rude appearance. Um, but yeah, I mean that was a pretty amazing night because again, the, cra- the, the, the crowd had a lot to do with making that show.
0: Is it barely uh, legal? It was the
2: barely legal one. What was that? I think, I think barely legal was uh, yeah. I think the first one was barely legal. and Maybe Heat Wave was the second yeah. one. Cause the, and the power goes
0: out at the end or something, right? Or Yeah. Or, oh. yeah. That must have been incredible. What was your first ECW show? Because were you aware of it from reading The Observer as it was kind of happening? Or were you no, going my, my, my finding out about
2: ECW was completely by accident. They were, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were probably a good four or five years in by the time I knew about it. And uh, there was a cable channel in uh, New York, still, still a big cable channel, MSG, mm-hmm. Madison Square Garden TV. And they were buying TV time on MSG very late, yeah, like four in the, in the
1: morning or something, right?
2: Yeah, like I think like two in the morning. Like two yeah, in the morning I think that's like, like, like
1: that's I how know. I saw it for the first time too. Yeah. Except by then it was like ninety eight or something.
2: Yeah, and I was I was probably like maybe like nine sometime in ninety six or ninety seven. Uh, I probably just left the TV on from watching a Knicks game or something, and you know I come home and there's this wrestling show on the TV. And uh, you know, there's chairs flying everywhere. There's guys getting stapled in the head. Um, you know, you've got Styles screaming his brains out. You got Bill Alfonso like acting like a complete like you know crack cracked out maniac with that horrible horrible orange jumpsuit. Um, I mean, yeah, it was, I I, I mean, I mean, immediately I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. (laughs) This is hilarious TV. And, uh, and, and the way, the way that like certain people kept kind of popping into it, who I remembered from wrestling before, like seeing Terry Funk on those shows or seeing Buddy Roberts on those shows or seeing Tracy Smothers. It was like, oh, my God, where did these, how did these guys, where did these guys fit into it? Um. It was it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool.
0: Like, was it... With the ECW stuff, was it... Were there other, like, people you saw? I guess by that point, like, like were there, like, other... Like, was it a punk audience at all, or was it, like... No, de- definitely
2: not. I mean, I would go to those shows and pretty much know absolutely no one. There was one guy, coincidentally at the time, a dude who was a publicist for Geffen Records, who was also going to do those shows, and he and I were not... Um, you know uh, acquaintances at that point, yeah. But um, I believe he was the one responsible. If I'm not, I could be wrong about this, but I, I believe he was the one responsible for uh, Mikey Whiprack using Beck's "A Loser" as, as his <laughs> end theme music. And by responsible, I mean he was the one who was going to get blamed <laughs> if. if if Geffen's lawyers ever found out about
1: it. I almost thought they just did all the, those, like, they just used whatever music they felt like and didn't even worry about getting sued. Well, that,
2: that is... That's that's mostly true. I mean, they didn't, they didn't ask permission. They didn't pay a licensing fee or whatever. I mean, that's why it worked. Because they were using real music, people got super psyched for it. Mm-hmm. But, of course, in real life, they couldn't use the real music. I ended up... Um, I ended up having a very brief uh, dialogue with Paul Heyman, and um, we because made... they
1: used that um the Blues Explosion Jizza remix right for like a video package.
2: No, well, no, they they, they used uh, the Blues Explosion's whale for uh, Rob Van Dam's uh, ring entry music. Oh, that's... however, after I think maybe two or three times. Uh, they decided that it wasn't it wasn't working. That people weren't recognizing the song, that it didn't really resonate with the audience, and they changed it to something else. Pantera, which is which is which is is pretty embarrassing. But well, it's uh,
1: got to be the Panteras. Like that's yeah. like that, it's cool that he used Blues Explosion for a minute, but that Pantera entrance—that's like one of the all-time great, yeah, well, like the, wrestler song pairings.
0: When a guy yeah. comes out in an airbrush singlet with a yin yang motif. You know, there's got to be some Pantera closely behind.
2: Yeah, I think you're right. We, <laughs> we uh, I mean, we we made a deal with Paul, and this is again, you know, something that our own lawyers probably wouldn't have been keen on. But we made a deal with him where um, they they would use the Blues Explosion song as Rob Van Dam's music, and we got um, a blues a Blues Explosion commercial. <laughs> On the ECW show, which uh, I think maybe they showed it twice, and I, I I didn't I don't think I ever encountered a single person who told me they saw the commercial on the show. <laughs> I mean I know it was on because I watched it myself. I'm not saying Paul ripped us off, but uh, in terms of like whatever whatever, whatever impact it had, yeah, uh, the
0: effectiveness was has yet to be seen.
2: What <laughs> yeah. that. That's- that's I, I think I think I think Paul just thought, oh, cool! Like, Madador Records, uh, alternative rock. It must be a huge thing. I'm sure the two will go great together. When in fact, uh, I don't I don't think the two audiences were to have anything anything whatsoever to do with each other. Well, did he um, come off as a music guy at all? Like, not not really a music guy, but um, he he came, he came off as as a hustler, and I mean that in the best possible sense mm-hmm. of the word. I don't mean that as a as a derogatory thing, he came off as a guy who was super enthusiastic about what he was doing, um, believed in it one hundred and ten percent, and was like completely driven to get it done. And anytime I had a conversation with him, it was just like super brief because he had he had something else to do, something more important to get to, and, and I was I was completely cool with that. Um, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean those shows were those shows were absolutely amazing. And uh, trying to watch them today on the network with all the music and crowd oh, noise taken up it's is it's it's excruciating. Even. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's like I could show it to somebody today, and they would have no idea what the big deal was.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's amazing how like, and it goes back to what you are talking about with prog- progress and stuff. But, like, it's how when you pick an aesthetic for your company. And you're just able to kind of run with that aesthetic how far that takes you in independent wrestling. Because it just makes you stand out rather than just being the company that features wrestling that's not quite like the stuff you see on TV. You're the company that doesn't want to be like the stuff you see on TV.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Oh, go ahead. No, I'm I'm done. Well, I meant to ask, like, uh, bringing it back, like, at that Progress show was the obviously they're you know completely different like forms of wrestling, but it was the excitement in the room anything similar to what it was at those e t w shows
2: uh a little different I, I would it was definitely not as as bloodthirsty i mean I, I think at the e t w shows uh and i gotta be careful how I put this because i'm I'm probably incriminating myself here <laughs> but uh I think, I think you definitely had a certain element at those ECW shows that really just wanted to see people get fucked up and get fucked up badly, uh, whereas the crowd at the Progress show, and, and keep in mind, I'm making generalizations about people I don't even know, but the crowd seemed uh, very educated, definitely knew the promotion, knew the wrestlers, knew the sport, and uh, I would say the atmosphere was probably closer to that of, of an English football match, except uh, not as not as not as bro heavy, not as generic. I mean, again, this I mean this is an audience that definitely had a real sense of humor, and and uh, the the workers were feeding off of them, and vice versa. I don't just mean in terms of energy. I mean, in terms of like kind of like a running dialogue, and uh, it was it was cool. Well, it's
0: funny because like they they have a lot of punk references, and obviously a bunch of their wrestlers are punk people. But I was uh, Tommy End was doing like a Q and A on Twitter this week, and I hit him up, and I'm like NRA or funeral Ration because you know being Dutch and punk, yeah. and he was like Jesus and the Gospel fuckers, <laughs> and I was like touche. <laughs>
1: speaking another language right now well, i don't know what you're talking about it's
0: like going to someone hulk hogan or macho man okay and then you go uh, nakamura it's like, All right. it's okay. like some, it's like a deeper cut type thing but it'd be kind of back then i don't know i can't think of i'm my mind's not working right i don't know what would you right. say it's
1: like gerard- you've had this going for a little while we should probably <laughs> cut it off um because we don't want the podcast to go too long this week but gerard thank you so much for for being on our, our
0: wrestling show at any time, guys. Awesome, Gerard. Yeah, thank you so much. And why don't we just wrap the wrestling show right now?
1: All right, cool. Yeah. Uh, uh you, what, should we plug our shit?
0: Yeah, like oh, I guess Gerard, why don't you plug uh, Can't Stop the Bleeding and I guess on Twitter if, if you want people to hit you up, Can't Stop the Bleeding up on Twitter too and stuff?
2: Yeah, they people can follow me if they're inclined at uh, CSTB tweet. Uh the uh the blog is can't stop the and, um, it's and, amazing. It uh, is yeah, hilarious.
0: It. And Gerard yeah. posts a lot of wrestling content too. And yeah, I just had to put your plug in a little harder than you were going to plug it, Gerard.
2: Thanks. I'm not, I'm not big on plugging myself. So no, thank you, sir.
0: No. And, and you put out some records too, I hear. So check Appa-
2: out that. Appar- apparently, apparently <laughs> but we have, we have a big marketing campaign. So just look for the manager records, uh, billboards and skywriters, uh, in your, in your city. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess sorry Tom you, uh, yeah, yeah
1: uh, I'm on Twitter at Tom Brian my stuff is on uh, stereogum.com just about every day although I've been on vacation this week and uh, my my AV Club action movie column just ran its uh, first blood piece so look for that if you were so inclined and uh, go ahead Damien
0: uh, you can find me on Twitter and, and Instagram and all that stuff at left for Damien. Uh, and subscribe to this Turned Out a Punk feed because that's where you're going to be here in clobbering time for the next little bit until we get our own feed and get our, our logo, which is coming along really cool, Tom. I've seen some mock-ups for it. Uh, my dad, my dad's doing it. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, that's it. And then, uh, yeah, look, I write stuff on Vice and, uh, yeah, and I will see you on another podcast on this channel.
1: Yeah, all right. Thanks for listening, everybody.